If you enjoy this show, you will enjoy the new novel Alice Isn't Dead, a standalone, complete reimagining of this story. It's out now. Find it wherever you encounter books or at aliceisntdead.com. Once in a better life, Alice and I took a very different kind of road trip. From Dubrovnik in Croatia through the Serbian region of Bosnia to Mostar. We got to the rental place, and the man at the counter drove us in his personal car several miles to a residential neighborhood overlooking the sea. There, above a stunning panorama of water and sky, he showed us a beat-up sedan with bald and cracking tires. We're driving over the mountains, you said. It's supposed to rain later. This car will kill us. The man assured us that this was the only automatic transmission available in southern Croatia. Neither of us knew how to drive manual. Not yet. I looked to you to see your decision. You were always the driver then. I didn't like driving. I do now. Or maybe I've just convinced myself I do. Joseph Fink, performed by Jessica Nicole, produced by Disparition. Part 2, Chapter 3, Abandoned Places. Every time I think of hiding somewhere, of giving up my search into Bay and Creek, I see a black boat sinking in the mouth of a river. And so, I went back to looking, and it wasn't long before I again found the woman who led the Bay and Creek army that night in the Thistletown. She works the same routes we all do. Once again, I followed. She's the first and only and best lead I have, and this time I wasn't about to lose her. Following is difficult in a truck. While it is ubiquitous on our highways, it's also, well, pretty visible. So instead of following, I did my best to anticipate her. I cut across her likely route on a road that a truck should not drive on. Sprays of mud clattering over gravel, and then out onto a narrow highway. There was a field of grass, and in the center of that field was a single tree frothing over with white flowers. The sunlight hit the tree just right, and it seemed to catch fire, every flower aflame. It was mesmerizing, a reminder that the miraculous can emerge suddenly from the happenstance, and in places you would never expect like an overgrown field somewhere in Georgia. I pulled over behind a windbreak, my leg bopping restlessly against the bottom of the steering wheel, but she didn't come by. It had been way too long for delays or stops. She took a different route, maybe. Or I don't know what. 
God damn it. Not again. So the two of us, Alice and I, in our other better life, got in our beat-up sedan with bald tires, a car that later in Mostar would be described to us as the nicest car in Bosnia, and we drove toward the border. That stretch of coast is a thin skin of beach on a spine of mountains. Soon we entered Republika Srpska, the Serbian region of Bosnia. We drove across a gorgeous plain of canals and farms, bounded by the ever-present jag of the mountains, like the walls of a great room that's ceiling was sky and that's carpet was crops and Eastern Orthodox cemeteries. A room in a house where many murders had happened, a room haunted by its ghosts. As we got further through the Serbian region, burning trash piles lined the highway. There was no infrastructure for managing trash, just mile after mile of squalor and smolder. Half-finished houses, not rebuilding from the war, but slow construction as extra money comes up. A savings account made of bricks. All along the road were stands offering honey. There didn't seem to be a single house in the region that didn't have a table with a few jars for sale. We didn't buy any honey. I went down the road looking for... What? I'm not a frontier tracker and a highway isn't signs and twigs. It's a truck on a road. We don't leave tracks. Or we don't as long as we stay on the road. But about two miles down the highway, I saw the unmistakable gouges of big rig wheels in the muddy shoulder and two wide ruts leading through the grass toward a collapsing farmhouse, slowly being swallowed by the fields it was built to oversee. I parked the truck down the road a bit and then walked to the tracks, following them across the field. They arrived at the house and then stopped. I didn't see any return tracks, I sure didn't see a truck. Other than the tracks, I wouldn't have guessed a human being had passed onto this property in months, maybe years. Not even squatters to bring life and light and language into these leaning walls. All through Bosnia and Croatia, there had been abandoned farmhouses, but not like this. This is a house that naturally died. Those were victims of war. Families forced out by their neighbors because they were Croat, or because they were Bosniak, or because they were Serbian. Imagine one day all of your neighbors, maybe families that have been your family's neighbors for hundreds of years, tell you that you are no longer their neighbor. Maybe they don't tell you with words, but with violence. And then imagine being those neighbors or their children, now 20 years past the war, and still every day stepping out the door to go to work and passing the empty concrete eyes of a dead house. A reminder that you or your parents once performed a kind of horrible magic trick, disappearing members of your community. What do you feel seeing the evidence of what you have done? Shame. Pride. 
I picked through the abandoned farmhouse. Rubble and sagging walls, dust on everything. A few cans in the kitchen, corn and beans, a half-empty yuhu container. In the bedroom, a mattress, mostly rotted away, leaning on the wall. I was afraid to climb the stairs. I wouldn't have trusted them to hold. There were no disturbances in the dust. Back in the kitchen, I ran my finger along a filthy countertop, and it came back clean. I leaned in closer to the surface and felt the slow dawning. The dust was painted on. I checked other parts of the house. Real dust. I went back to the kitchen. Painted on all of it. So I started over, examining inch by inch every surface in the kitchen. Which is how I found, smudged on top of the painted-on dust, fingerprints on one of the dials on the stove. I turned it, and the floor went. The entire kitchen was an elevator, and it carried me down into darkness and then back into a bright, even light. The dusty, disused kitchen was now at one end of a clean steel corridor. We descended from the Serbian region to a Bosniak town in a valley following a truck. A policeman standing in the road just before the border between the regions waved the driver to a stop and we stopped behind him. The driver hopped out and started chatting with the officers. They lit up cigarettes. No one seemed to be in a hurry to move. We couldn't go around them and so we waited. Soon there was a long line of traffic behind us. Other people started to get out of their cars, chatting, peeing into bushes right by the road, smoking. All of them were men. We sat in our car, trying to make our gender, our nationality, our car that now seemed too nice, trying to make all of that as small as possible. As distant and irrelevant to all of these men's lives as the hawk I could see riding the thermals out over the valley. And then the driver nodded to the officers, hopped back into the truck, and moved again. Everyone got back in their cars. That evening we reached Mostar, where the bullet holes still riddle buildings because the buildings no longer have owners. There is a hill overlooking town where the Catholic snipers once spent months murdering their Muslim neighbors trapped against the river below. When the war was over, the Catholics built a several-story-tall cross on that hill, a gesture that could only be taken as one last act of aggression. This is what we murdered you for, it said. We observed this with our curious foreign gazes, and the next day we drove on to Split, back on the coast, and ate mediocre pizza looking at an extraordinary harbor sunset. The steel corridor led to a security door. The door was open. 
Beyond that was a staircase set into the wall of a vast man-made cavern, stretching out for maybe half a mile, teeming with equipment and people. The scale of it settled in my stomach as a churn. The woman I had been following was waiting at the stairs. We have cameras all over the house, you know, she said. You weren't going to be able to stumble into this without us noticing. So what happens now, I said. I didn't waste time asking questions she wasn't going to answer. Keisha, why do you keep putting me in this position, she said. She looked genuinely sad and frustrated. I don't want to do anything to you. I like you, Keisha. I like Alice, too, and God knows that woman loves you. Don't you fucking dare talk about Alice to me, I said. She tapped her fingers on the railing, nodded. To answer your question, what should happen now is that I kill you. There can't be any risk of this location being discovered, and we both know you'll broadcast the story. You can't help yourself. What is actually going to happen, she said, is I am going to let you go, and you are never going to come back here. You are going to respect that I am putting myself completely on the line by doing this. You're going to realize that I am not doing this to manipulate you, but because you seem like a good person. And there's just not enough of those. She guided me onto the elevator, stepped back, pressed a button on the wall. As the kitchen lifted me back toward the world, she said, Drive your truck. Live your life. There's no freedom in uncovering these secrets, I promise. And I was back in an empty house. No sign that any other people had been here for a long, long time. She may be right. Probably is. But as you know by now, Alice, I'm not looking for freedom. Bay and Creek have seemingly limitless resources. Not just to build that place, but to staff it and manage it and, above all, keep it secret. Who was funding this war against the Thistlemen, and by extension against the U.S. government that is allied somehow with Thistle? And if they have that place, then what else? What other secrets, buried in places where no one looks, because they are places that tell a story about ourselves we don't want to hear? All over this world, abandoned places. Houses wasting away into the tall grass. Office buildings with shattered windows. Churches with empty pews. And this is leaving aside the places that have been buried or drowned or otherwise destroyed. Once, a hundred years ago in Poland... There was a wooden synagogue in the countryside, and the inside was painted in a dizzying profusion of color. It was truly a monumental work of art. That synagogue was burned. What hides in the abandoned places? Some hold pain and regret, crimes forgotten or not forgotten. Others hold human beings, living there because they can't live anywhere else, because they need to hide, or because they just need a roof over their heads, even if that roof has holes and a slant to it. 
Concrete farmhouses in the Balkans hold a story no one wants to tell anymore. And now, warrens and mazes, secret elevators. In the hollow places, in the abandoned places, there is movement and whispers. As I returned to my truck, settled back into that familiar seat, put my hand on that familiar wheel, a shadow fell across me. Perhaps she had changed her mind about killing me, or had been overruled. I did nothing. There was nothing I could do at that point. I've been following you for a while, Sylvia said. It had only been a few months since we broke into a police station together, but it felt like years. I was surprised by her youth. She was more of a child than I had remembered. She hopped up from the back and grinned at me. You startled the shit out of me, I told her. Ah, I'm sorry about that. She leaned her head on my shoulder for a moment, then sat back in her seat. I need you to help me, she said. I wouldn't have come if it wasn't important. She's sleeping now. It's late, and she isn't the one who has to be awake in order for us both to not die in a horrible crash. I had no idea how much I missed the company until I had it. And besides, how could I resist her request? It's not every day you get to solve a murder mystery. For now, from your loving wife, carrying a sleeping child safely through this unfriendly night, goodbye, Alice. Stay safe.
Hey, Alice Heads, which is a name I just came up with for listeners of Alice Isn't Dead and that I don't think I'll ever use again. Ugh. Anyway, I'm releasing two books this year, which is a weird thing to say, but I've been working on both of these for years and I'm so excited for you to read them. Okay, first on May 11th, 2021, the first 10 years, two sides of the same love story. So there is a love story that happened behind the scenes of Welcome to Night Vale between me, Joseph Fink, and Meg Bashmaner, voice of the Night Vale credits and MC and tour manager for the live Night Vale show. In this memoir, we recount the first 10 years of our relationship, year by year, without consulting each other beforehand. It's a funny and romantic story about how differently we experience and remember our lives. Then, on July 20th, The Halloween Moon, my first ever novel for ages 10 and up. Esther Gold loves Halloween, until the year that Halloween night just won't end. Even she doesn't want Halloween to last forever. No matter your age, if you're a fan of Alice Isn't Dead, I think you're going to love this book. Get these books wherever you get your books. And now, a knock-knock joke. Knock-knock. Who's there? Interrupting cow. Interrupting cow... who? Hello? Pastures cut through by water and wind breaks, but otherwise it's unbroken grass for a long time now. But who said different was important, or good? Who said we needed things to be untedious? Who are we to expect better from a world that isn't? Who are we? Does anyone know? Has anyone checked on that? Okay. Are you still there? Moo. This has been a production of Night Vale Presents. Find out more about us and our shows at nightvalepresents.com.
Hi, I'm Jeffrey Craner, and I wanted to tell you about one of my other podcasts, Random Number Generator Horror Podcast Number 9. So the thing is, my friend Cecil Baldwin, the voice of Night Vale, loves horror movies, and he's helping make the genre more approachable for me, and hopefully for you too, one film at a time, in a random order. Are you squeamish about horror movies? Look, I get it, and no worries. Just listen in, and we'll tell you everything that happens. But do you love horror movies? Well, that's great too. Watch along with us each week. We've got nearly 200 episodes covering everything from The Shining to Leprechaun 4 in Space. I'm serious, we go in a random order. So check out Random Horror 9 wherever you get podcasts.